live from the summit in New Mexico, the Corps presents Sales Training Boot Camp with college football coach Mike Sweeter. Today's topic, 12 Steps to Playing Big. So listen, I want you to get a clear piece of paper, okay? I want you to be ready to grow, to grow. I like this man a lot. His heart is exactly where I want it. He is the head football coach at Wheaton College in Chicago. They have won five championships at this college. Now, Wheaton College is a Christian college, highly academic, puts out some great names, some famous business people, some famous people come from Wheaton. You've been the coach there 28 years? 28 years. Let's give him a core welcome for Mike Sweeter. Come on up here, Mike. Thank you, Rick. Can you guys hear me good? Yeah. All right. I was told this group is motivated. That's my first point. And uh, we'll get on to that a little bit later. But I just first of all want to let you know that I understand the responsibility that Rick has given me. Before I put anybody in front of my football team, the first thing I say to them is understand the responsibility of what I've just given you. And if a guy doesn't understand the responsibility that he's going to have, he's not going to get up in front of my football team. I want someone who understands that and understands it clearly, who he's in front of, what we're trying to accomplish, and the role he's going to have. If he doesn't understand, he doesn't buy into it, and he's not going to be part of it, he's not going to get in front of my team. So I want Rick to know, and all of you guys to know, that I understand that responsibility, but not only do I understand it, but I take it seriously. I want the person in front of my football team to take that seriously. And I want you to know that I take this opportunity seriously. I speak to a lot of different groups. I speak to church groups, business groups, sales meetings. I've done two NFL chapels. I do a lot of different groups. I speak to groups of a thousand and groups of five. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me how many are out there because life is about influence. Life is about influencing, encouraging, challenging, confronting people. If you're not influencing somebody, if you're not challenging somebody, if you're not confronting somebody, if you're not encouraging somebody, if you're not serving somebody, you're missing the boat. You're totally missing the boat on life. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to help you guys continue down the path you're on and just be a little bit of a, a branch here and a kick in the pants to everything that's been going on for the last few days. But I want you to know that I'm really excited about being here. I've never been to Albuquerque before. Uh, my son is a, he's, I have one son who's a sophomore for us. He's a football baseball, he's a dual sport athlete, uh, great athlete, great young man, so proud of him. I have another son who's a senior in high school. He's a football player. He's a, a, he just won the Illinois State Freestyle Greco-Roman and Folk Style Wrestling Championships. His coach, he was also excited because I was coming to Albuquerque, because his club Greco-Roman wrestling coach coaches John Jones. You guys, anybody known here John Jones, the MMA guy? Pound for pound, the toughest guy on the planet. His wrestling-specific coach right here in Albuquerque is my son's wrestling coach in, in the Chicago area. My son's all fired up. He's going to Albuquerque. He says, oh, you've got to run by the training facility. You've got to tell him this and tell him that. And I told him I had bigger things on my plate to do. But I'm great to be here in, in Albuquerque and, and to be here with you guys. Uh, the other thing I want you guys to know, too, before we get started, uh, is there, there are two things. First, everything I'm going to say to you today and everything I'm going to challenge with you today you can't compartmentalize this. You are who you are. You know, it's going to be easy for us to say all these things in here, and if you walk out a door and you fail at home, you fail. You know, these things do not just apply in this room. These things just do not apply in the business world. These things apply to life. Rick is your life coach, too. 
This applies to life. You can't compartmentalize these 12 things. They apply to everything, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your kids, the way you act on a Friday night at 10 o'clock. You are who you are, and if you're not, you're a phony. And your business and the people in your business are going to smell it in two seconds. You are who you are. And so as I speak today, I want you to apply this to every single area of your life. Because it matters. And some of those even matter more than the business aspect. But they work there too. The other thing I wanted to say to you before we get started too is I would not be standing in front of you if it wasn't for my father. And I give him credit every time I get in front of a group of people. My father was part of the greatest generation of all time. And when I explain that to you, there's not a person who's going to say no. He was part of that generation. He's dead and gone. He's in heaven with Jesus right now. But he was that part of that generation that he grew up, he was a youth during the Depression. The Great Depression, not what we're in here, the Great Depression. He was a youth living on the south side of Chicago. He had absolutely nothing. He was born in 1925. He had nothing. At age 18, he graduates from high school in June. He signs his name on the line, goes overseas and fights for our country. In six months, at age 18 and a half, he is in the South Seas fighting on the Pacific Front for the United States of America at age 18 and a half. He grew up and he had nothing. And at age 18 and a half, he was fighting as if he had been given everything. Not many of them guys left, are there? Most of them are dead. Different culture. Different. Most people fight for what they're going to get. In the world's eyes, he had had nothing. The guy fought as if he could get everything. He had freedom. It's going to get into the next thing, causes. The greatest motivators in the world. Not glory, a cause. Those guys were cause-driven, weren't they? And they're all dead and gone. My dad comes back from two and a half years overseas, and an 18-year-old kid, he comes back and he goes to college, he plays football. And he spends the next 40 years of his life in the inner city of Chicago, teaching in the Chicago public school system and coaching football. 40 years, inner city, public school, physical education teacher, and football coach. In the world's eyes, nothing. Never made more than $30,000 in one year of his life. That's it. And when we put him in the ground and had the memorial service for him, out the back of the church, around the block, around the next block, around the next block, young men, no longer young, coming paying their respects to a humble guy that didn't have any money when he died. Black, white, Yellow. It didn't matter what their skin color was. They had a heart that was pumping red blood, and that's all that mattered to Dad. And he changed life with all those guys. And they came by, and they shook my hand. They looked at my dad. And your dad was the greatest influence of anybody in my entire life. He never made a nickel. That's what it's about, people. It's about influence. It's about affecting people and changing people. It doesn't mean you can't make money. In my world, it doesn't mean you can't win games. But it's got to be bigger than that. And I am who I am because I was a product of that guy. And I give him credit and tribute every time I speak. And I'll tell you the other thing he did. I'd go to bed every night until I was 18 years old. My dad would come in my room. And this is, I'll tell you, World War II guy, the guy was 6'2", 
Six one, two hundred twenty pounds, lifted weights. Ricky, you'd have loved him. I mean, he's a man's man. He'd come in my room. He'd put his arm around me. I'd be laying in bed. He says, "I'm gonna remind you of these three things. I do it every night. Number one, God loves you. The Maker of this world, who blew the breath into your body and has the hairs on your head numbered, He loves you. And you know what, Mike? He's got a plan for your life. He's got a perfect plan for your life. You were not created with no plan. You were created." with a purpose, as every one of you were. My dad told me that every single day. I have value in the maker of this world's eyes. And that God loves you, and you can do nothing to lose his love for you. The next thing my dad would tell you, tell me, I love you, son. And I will always love you. You are my son. Don't ever worry about your father not Loving you. I was told that every day. And you know the third thing he told me? I will always love your mother. Don't worry about that one either. I will always love your mother. And for 18 years, until they, at that point when I left the home, until they died, my father and my mother went to bed in the same bed every single night. I was three for three one night. Most kids today, 0 for 3. Think about it. Who's telling God loves them? What dads tell them they love them? And how many dads are loving the moms? And then we want to know why we got issues. I have no excuse for my life. So when you see me up here and I start challenging you and inspiring you, I have no excuses. None. I didn't have anything, people. I grew up in a home that had 900 square feet on a 30-foot lot with nothing. But I had more than any young man in the entire world had. I had my dad for my dad. And that's why I am who I am. So everything I say to you today, you pay tribute to my father. Because that's why I am who I am. God has blessed me with an amazing wife. As they say in my world, I outkicked my coverage. <laughs> I was in the basement, caught that elevator going up, and I rode it all the way to the penthouse. Unbelievable. I love her dearly. The mother of my three children. Talking about some cause we're going to talk about today. The most selfless, humble person I've ever met in my life. Cause-driven. All these things we're going to talk about. Could never be here without her. Never. My kids wouldn't be who they are without her. I've been blessed with three wonderful kids. Justin, I told you about, is a sophomore running back, baseball player. My son Michael is going to come play for me and wrestle. He's going to go to Fargo, wrestle in the national championships here shortly. He's a tough guy. He's got a great heart for the Lord. Every Sunday he takes his sister, who's got a daughter who's 11, he takes his little sister's hand. This guy who works out with mixed martial arts guys, and he walks her into her Sunday school class. I watch my son fight and wrestle and do Greco-Roman on a Saturday night, and I see him going to church on Sunday and pray and love Jesus. Think about that thing. Most of those kids in that wrestling match wouldn't go into church, and most people in church wouldn't even step in that room. I've been blessed more than I deserve. And I got my little girl, Hannah. I'll tell you about Hannah, and then we get started. You've got to know a little bit about me before you're going to believe anything I say. But little Hannah, she's, uh, <laughs> for some reason, I, I treat her differently than the guys, and here's probably why. For some reason, she has all kinds of shoes, and my two boys have one pair growing up. 
Okay, my two boys between the ages of 0 and 12, whatever it is, when they go to high school, my, my kids, they, they had gym shoes. They wore those gym shoes to funerals, weddings, church, everything. They just put them on and went down the stairs. They didn't care no matter what they had on. They put on their gym shoes and they went to wherever it was they were going. Now, my daughter, she's got Sunday shoes and Monday shoes and Tuesday shoes and Wednesday shoes. And she has spring shoes and summer shoes and fall shoes and winter shoes. And they're just lined up. My two boys, boom, boom. My daughter just lined up. And I went to my wife one day and I said, we got an issue here. we got a problem. I says, what, what's going on with all the shoes? She says, she looks me deadpan in the eye. She goes, you're the problem. I said, I'm the problem? I probably got like three pairs of shoes. She says, here's the problem. Here's what happens every day. You come in from school after coaching a long day. You come in and your little daughter, she comes bounding down the stairs with her ponytail. She jumps into your arms and she goes, daddy, daddy, I love you. And she kisses me and hugs me. And you know what you say? You want another pair of shoes? <laughs> Boys never did that to me. And uh, she is just a dream, and I am so grateful for her. But what I want to talk to you about, I'm going to talk about 12 different things today. I'm sure you've heard these in different words from Rick. I'll guarantee you've heard them, just in different ways. But we're going to, you're going to hear them from a different mind view, different mindset maybe. It's going to blend a different light on it. And my job here is I want to inspire you people. I want to challenge you people. I want you to people to walk out that door and say, man, this whole conference was worth that hour. Because it not only changed me in the way I'm going to live my business, but it's going to change me the way I act tonight at 10 o'clock. I want you to be a hero. And that's what heroes are. Heroes are people who do relatively simple things, but they do them in extraordinary circumstances. That's what a hero is. Now, a hero doesn't make a million dollars. A hero is not on TV. A hero does simple things in extraordinary circumstances. I could take a football right now, and there's Rick. I could take a football, and boom, I could hit him right in the chest with it. Right now, I could do, I could do it 10 out of 10 times. Now, if I can do that, backed up on my own five-yard line, they're blitzing off the edge, we're down by four, championship game, the wind is blowing and it's snowing out, and I can still do that ten out of ten times? I'm a hero, aren't I? Simple task, extraordinary circumstance, right? Okay, for me to go run up five flights of stairs and put somebody my body weight on my shoulders and run down five flights of stairs, I could do that very easily, and so could most of you. Do it when the building's burning down, you're a hero. For me to run out on a field, run down that hallway 30 yards, put someone on my back, my body weight, and run back, very easy. Do it when bullets are flying, I'm a hero. It's going to be very easy for us to talk about these 12 things right here. And we're all going to be on board, and we're all going to say, yes, walk out that door and live them and become a hero. Change the world. That's how you change it. You're going to do something that's pretty simple. I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm telling you right now, I'm a football coach. And these things aren't in any books anywhere. I don't write books. I don't do any of that stuff. This is stuff that, you know what? I live it. You've got to live it 24-7 in whatever environment you're in. And you know what will happen? You'll change the world. Your business will flourish. And you'll stay married to your wife. And your kids will love you. And you don't, you're going to have issues. You can't compartmentalize your life, people. You can't do it. You can't say, I'm successful eight hours a day and then be a failure for the other eight. Not going to happen. People are going to see through that like that. You know what draws people to people? Authenticity. They are who they are in extraordinary circumstances. So you margin in everything I say well, with that about being a hero. You know the book by Jim Collins? Have you ever read that book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins? I'm sure most of you have had. Talks about getting the right people on a bus, doesn't he? 
Get the right people on the bus. These are the things in my mind are the right people. And I'm going to read you a football quote here. This is what Vince Lombardi said. Here's what he said about good men and great men, or good people and great people, big people and little people. He said, the difference between men is in energy, in singleness of purpose, and invincible determination. You've heard about every one of those, I'm sure. Every one of you guys heard about that in the last three days. Energy, singleness of purpose, invincible determination. They're all good. But you know what he says? But the great difference between men is in sacrifice, self-denial, fearlessness, humility, love, loyalty, and the perfectly disciplined will. Those are not only the difference between men. Those are the difference between great men and little men. It talks about humility, fearlessness, loyalty, self-denial. Apply it to your life. All right, here we go. Here are these things that I think, that was according to Vince Lombardi, here are my 12 things. If I were Jim Collins, I would say, these are things that are going to get you on the bus. The first one is be someone who wants to be motivated. I just was talking to someone here, and he says, Coach, you don't have to worry about any of these guys who was prepping me on this, this audience. He was prepping me on all of you. And he says, you're going to speak to people that want to be motivated. Guarantee you. That's the number one thing I got here. Because if you don't want to be motivated, you know, I should just walk down these things and walk out that door. If you don't want to be motivated, what am I going to do? That's on you. I was speaking in a motivational thing in 1988 with Mike Ditka. Now, that was when Mike was at his top. He was with the Chicago Bears. He was the Rays. He was the quickest guy to 100 wins in the NFL. I'm not so sure I'm necessarily a Mike Ditka fan right now, but I was back then. Someone asked me, he said, you're considered one of the greatest motivators in the NFL. What do you do that's so different? And he made a statement that just overwhelmed me. He says, I get rid of all the people that want to be motivated, and I surround myself by people who want to be motivated. And then he says, any of my coaches, the secretaries, the PR guys, everybody can motivate them. You don't need a motivator to mo- motivate motivated people. You don't need it. You want it. You're going to want to be motivated. I tell it to kids all the time. There's not a teacher, a parent... A coach is going to make a difference in your life unless you want them to. First thing I tell our players, you either want to be motivated or you don't. I tell my kids. I'll give you a great story. I had a sister, four Olympics for the United States of America. She was in the 76, the 80, the 84, and the 88 Winter Olympics. Innsbruck, Austria, Lake Placid, Sarajevo, Yugoslavia, and out there in Canada, Calgary, Canada. Held three world records. She's trying to make that fourth games in 1988. I used to race in triathlons. I've done the Ironman distance. I've done all that stuff. But we used to cycle together. I was one of those fools that swam 2.4 miles in the ocean. You bike 112 and you run a marathon. It's an idiot. That was me. Okay? All right. So my sister, her dry land training was cycling. So in the summer, I used to cycle with her. She's trying to make her fourth Olympic team. Here's the problem. She's 10 years older than the nearest competitor. She's just given birth to a baby by a cesarean section, not even natural, by a cesarean section. So she's got a problem right now, all right? And so one day I would meet her just west of Wheaton, Illinois. We on our bikes, we ride 50 to 100 miles four mornings a week. And so I would meet her at a little stoplight. It's pitch black out. We'd get there. She's standing there. She's hanging her head. I said, what's the matter? She said, I don't know if I can do this. I just don't know. I'm 10 years older than everybody else. I just gave birth to a baby. The incision's not healing. I was up all night nursing the baby. I'm not sleeping. I just don't know if I can do this. I had a choice to make, didn't I? I do one of two things. Put my arm around her and say, oh, poor Nancy. You're going to get a 10-meter head start because you're 10 years older than everybody. 10 more meters because you gave birth to a baby. They didn't. 
Ten more meters because you had a cesarean section. And ten more meters because you were up and you don't sleep because you take care of the little baby at night. Yeah, that's right. You're going to get a 40-meter head start because life's tough. I, I could have said that, right? But you know what I knew in my heart? I knew she wanted to be motivated. I knew it. I knew that no matter what I say, she'd never look at me and goes, Well, how do you know you're not a woman? How do you know what I'm going through? It's easy for you to say. I knew she wanted to be motivated. Rick and I were just talking about it on lunch. The people on top are not the people who have the easy path. The people on top are the people who jump the most hurdles. And so you know what I looked her in the eye? I said, Nancy, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody really cares. You ain't getting 10 meters here. You're not going to get 10 meters there. You're going to line up at the same line. And the East Germans don't care, and the Soviets don't care, and nobody gives a rip. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to leave on the ride. You can come or you're not, but I'm gone. See ya. Got on a bike, I start riding. Within minutes, here she comes. And she buries me for 75 miles. Six months later, she becomes the first female ever to make four consecutive Olympics. Ever in the history of the United States. Four in a row. One, two, three, four. That's over 16 years. And a family. And that spring, in March, she eats lunch in the White House with the President of the United States and that little one in a high chair. Now, do you want to be motivated? What could you do if you didn't have an excuse for the person who was trying to motivate you? But you don't know. Rick calls you up and you say, but, this, but you don't know, Rick, what's going As if I don't have any issues? You don't want to be motivated, you don't. You either call him your coach or you don't call him your coach. But if you call him your coach, you let him motivate you. It doesn't matter who you coach, parent, teacher, pastor, of your church, whatever it is. You don't want to be motivated. Number two, integrity. Integrity. Can you be trusted? Can you? Can you be trusted? Are you honest? Are you loyal? Not only here at home, on a Friday night. The greatest leader of all time, and I could sit down, I'll debate you guys from now the kingdom come if you don't agree with me. President Dwight Eisenhower. You say, well, give me some ammunition here. President of the United States, five-star general. How many of you guys know like that? Probably know something about leadership, doesn't he? You know what he said the most important quality in a leader? Integrity. You know what he defined it as? Your life must match your mission. If there is a disconnect between the way you live and the way you are, the things you are demanding, nobody's going to follow you. Or if they do, they're going to follow you because they have to. Integrity. It's integrity not necessarily in right and wrong. It's integrity in your life. Here's the mission I'm proclaiming, but here's the way I live at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. You have no shot, people. You have no shot to lead. None. Zero. Your life and the mission must match. Integrity. It's also honesty and loyalty. That same dad I was telling you about, he never saw any of my kids. He retires after 40 years, you know what story, and he gets cancer and he dies 100 pounds in six months. It was the worst thing I ever went to. I just told you how much I loved him. And in six months, my dad dies 100 pounds. He loses 110 pounds in six months. Basically starves to death, gets cancer all over his body. My wife's pregnant. We know we're going to have a son, my first child. I was going to name him after me, Mike. The doctor calls me up. My dad's in the mail. He says, you better get up here in a hurry. Your dad's not going to make it. I drive up there, go into his room. My dad's just in and out of it. I said, Dad, we're going to have a little boy. I want you to know something, Dad. 
I'm going to name him after you because of what you did for me. And he's going to carry on your legacy, Dad. I said, Dad, other than leading my son to Christ and having him trust in God, what's the most important thing I can instill in my son? You know what my dad said? Honesty and loyalty. And then my dad died right in front of me. You think my son is honest and loyal? What do you think? My dad said that's the most important thing. He didn't say want to be motivated. My dad says, if your life doesn't match, you got nothing. Because once you lose it, you've lost it. People in this world can take away a lot of things, but you give that one away. They don't take your integrity away, do they? They can take your money, but you give it away. Leaders, winners, don't give it away. You want to be a person of integrity? How often do you audit your soul? You guys are all in the business world. You audit the business, right? Why do you audit a business? You audit a business so that everything matches, right? And you don't get goofed up. And so all of a sudden, the end of the year, oh gosh, and it's too late. Because one thing slips, another slips, another slips, and before all the lines are all fouled up because you made a mistake in one line. How often do you audit your soul? You're going to be a person of integrity. Regularly audit the state of your soul. How often do you do it? Your reputation is what everybody in this room thinks of you. You know what your character is? What God and the angels know. What do God and the angels know about you? Number three, perspective. Oh, perspective. Great leaders. People, they keep, maintain perspective. You know, they don't get consumed in greatness and depressed in bad times. You know how it is in the business world. Oh, it's a great day. I'm great. It was a bad day. I'm in the tank. You know the guys you follow? Good days, bad days. They're the same guy. You'll follow that guy, won't you? It doesn't matter if he made a million dollars or he lost it. He just flatlines the hills and the valleys of life. Because he keeps perspective. When you lose perspective, you become somebody you're not. You hurt people that are closest to you. You say things, do things, respond ways. You would never respond if you'd kept perspective. You wouldn't. I'll give you a great example. I'm a, Greg was guilty. 1999, we're 9-0, going ahead to win one of those championships. We're just knocking everybody right in the dirt. We're playing a team that's 0-9. We got beat. I went home, and I'm telling you right now, it, it, it was, the steam was coming out, and the top was ready to get blown up to the moon. And I said to my wife, I'm not going in the house. I'm not coming in the house because I'm going to say something I don't mean. I'm going to do something I don't mean, and I'm going to treat you and our kids in a way that I should not treat them because I'm losing perspective. It's a daggone football game, and I'm treating it like it's the end of the world. So I went out and I started raking leaves. In the fall down there, we got leaves to rake. So I just started raking leaves. A couple hours later, my son Justin, named after my dad, Justin John. Love him, man. He's eight years old. He'll call us out of the bedroom and he Daddy, Daddy, I can't sleep either. I say, oh, my God, what am I teaching my kid? Pull him down. We sit down on the back porch. And I say, son, what's the problem? Why can't you sleep? He looks me in the eyes. eight-year-old kid. He loves his dad. You can just see him. He's looking at me. He says, daddy, someday when I play football for you at Wheaton College, should I call you coach or can I call you dad? <laughs> I said, that's your problem? That's my problem. I don't know what to call you when I play for you. And I said to myself, I've got a son that wants to play for me. He doesn't want to play. He wants to play for his dad. 
And he respects the position enough to know he might have to call me coach. And he loves me enough that he wants to call me dad. And he's in a quandary. I put my arm around him. I said, son, you can call me anything you want. And I went in the house and I was sleeping in five minutes. Why? I regained perspective. You need people in your life that help you keep perspective. That's why you have coaches. You've got to surround yourself by people who are not emotional roller coasters. Keep perspective. Keep the main thing the main thing. You lose perspective. Like I said, you compromise yourself. You compromise everything. You compromise everything that you hold dear to your heart. We, there's some train tracks that run on the other side of our stadium. They run into the city of Chicago, about a 40-minute trip into the city. We're about 40 minutes west of Wheaton. We lose a game. It's a Saturday afternoon. We lose a football game. And I get all the team up. And I'm standing there on the field. I talk to the team before we get them in. And they're down. They're hanging their head. And so am I. And here's what I tell them after every game we lose. Here's what I want you to do. After you shower, you get cleaned up. You get on the train. You go into the city and you feed the homeless. You spend the next two hours tonight not chasing yourself and trying to satisfy yourself through anything that the world tells you to do. Go in and serve somebody else who has less than you and feed the homeless tonight. And I have never had a kid come back and say, you know what, I'm still in the tank about the loss. They're all over the loss. The loss is gone. It's good for a football coach because you know what you want to do when you get beat? You want to forget about it. Learn and move on. You feed the homeless and talk to them about their issues, you get perspective like that. And you know what else happens? We're going to get into this in a minute. You serve someone. And the greatest joy in life is going to come from service. Not making money, people. It's not winning games. It's serving someone. Number four, committed. Rick and I are talking about this one. He and I think a lot alike. I was sitting talking to him at lunch about something. He just goes, oh, geez, we do the same thing. I said, well, they're going to hear it over again. He says, so what? Let them hear it again and again and again. That's what great leadership is. Great leadership isn't changing your message. Great leadership is taking the same message and the message works and feeding it home every day. Right? Have you heard that before? Commitment. Quitting can't be an option. That's what I... Commitment. Quitting cannot be a solution to your frustration. And in our culture, quitting is always a solution to frustration. The market's not good. I made three calls and nobody called me back. In my world, we did a bad call by the official. I'm not playing enough. Well, okay, let's just quit. We have our guys sign a commitment letter. We do it in December at the end of each year. It's for 12 months. The guy signs a letter, and I says that for the next 12 months, come hell or high water, he's going to show up. And I don't have to worry about him showing up. He's showing up. Winter workout, 6 a.m., lifting, running, practice, summer. He's showing up every day. I know I got him. And if he signs it, I don't have to worry about him. He's in. I said, when you sign that thing, I don't want you to think about a sunny 72-degree day on our game field. You're scoring touchdowns. We're winning. The girls are screaming your name, and everything's hunky-dory. Because everybody wants to sign up. Unfortunately, it's not always going to be that way. Here's what I want you to do before you sign up. I want you to think about a Wednesday practice late October. In Chicago, late October, it's 32 degrees. It's raining and snowing at the same time. And the grass is dead, and it's muddy. And I'm yelling at you. It's a practice field. It's dark. Daylight savings time's kicked in. And it's just nasty. You're not playing. We got beat the Saturday before and you got a bad ankle. Are you going to be there? I need to know and I need to know right now. That's commitment, isn't it? If it doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to, it doesn't change my response. I married my wife. I gave her an engagement ring. 
I said, Nancy, let's not think about the honeymoon. We were going to Hawaii. 72 degrees every day. Fruit juice and hula girls every day. No kids. No money issues. It's all been budgeted, planned for. Ten days. Call the honeymoon. Paradise. I says, everybody in the world is going to get married if that's what they think about. And they're all going to stay committed if every day is a honeymoon, right? I said, Nancy, here's the deal. Someday, if we have a child born with Down syndrome, are you going to be there? I need to know, I need to know right now. Someday, if I get cancer like my dad, I lose all my hair and I lose 110 pounds, are you going to be there? I need to know right now. If this thing doesn't turn out great and we lose some gains and I get fired, are you going to be there? I need to know right now. I said, no, you ask me the same questions. Say, it's great being married to someone. You don't have to worry about whether they're going to show up the next day. It's a true blessing. You say, how do you know if she's going to show up? Because she told me. Now, there's more to it than that, but that's part of it. Commitment. You like to work with people who are committed, don't you? That's the first question. I write a letter of recommendation. When I write a letter of recommendation to our players who are making millions of dollars. I don't write how smart they are. I don't write what their GPA is. I don't write what their major is. You know what I write? Count on him. He's going to show up every day. Committed. Number five. Oh, selfless. Humble. Service-oriented. Is this countercultural or what? Listen to this. We have magazines... In our world, you go to the airport right now, there are magazines entitled Self. And I'm telling all you, selfless. Countercultural. Boy, selfless, cause-driven, service-oriented people are so fun to be around. People that serve others. Our culture teaches us that self-gratification fulfills you. Let me tell you, self-gratification never fulfills you. It leaves you empty. You want to get fulfilled? Do something for someone tomorrow and never get found out. Oh, that's worth a million dollars. To see their face going, wow, look at this. And you know you're the source of that joy. Nobody else does. I want you to think about this. My football team, we started this in 1999. We raised $200,000 a year, and our entire football team in spring break goes overseas and serves a former player who's decided to give his life to missions. We have been in Senegal, Africa, Botswana, Guinea, South Africa, Ethiopia, Puerto Rico, Dominican, Venezuela, the list goes on, Romania, Czechoslovakia, Moldova, you know what we do? We send our kids over there to serve them. Now, we got a linebacker who's playing for the Kansas City Chiefs right now, okay? He's making a million dollars. He didn't know what to do with all his money. He said the greatest moment of his life was when he was on his mission trip his senior year. He went to South Africa. We were working in an orphanage, and his job was to hold a one-year-old baby that had AIDS, whose mother and father had died of AIDS, and you hold this baby all week because when you hold the baby, she doesn't cry. And for some reason, when he held her, she didn't cry. So that was his job. He is 6'4", 260 pounds, and he eats nails and he spits rust, okay? And he did all week. A little one-year-old African baby who had AIDS and had no future. But she didn't cry. 
when Andy held her. Or we were digging a ditch to replace a sewer line. So these little kids were standing on top of the ditch so that their toilets would flush. And our players are standing knee-deep in human waste. And these little kids got smiles on their face because their toilets are going to flush. And then we built them a playground and read them Bible stories. Now that's what we do every year. It's over $2 million I've raised. i got nothing to show for people. Zero. No building, no weight room, no turf, nothing. But 25 men every year that are in the world right now that are not ego-driven. That's what i got. 25 men out there every day that are selfless, service-oriented men. And some of them are making a million dollars, and some are doctors, and some are missionaries. And you know what the rest of the world does? All the other teams, they break up independently. Spring break, there's a ton of guys in your team. They break up in groups of four or five. They go to Cancun, South Padre Island, Destin, Florida. I don't know, you know. And they serve themselves, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not an idiot here. And you serve yourself. For eight days, just serve yourself. Grab for all that gusto you get. Just make my flesh happy. And you do it independently, not as a whole team. And so then they all come back in groups of four or five, and they all get back in the gym and say, okay, let's be a team. And my guys come back from collectively serving others. They come back from independently serving themselves. And my team comes back and says, let's be a team. Now you tell me which team's tighter. It isn't rocket science. Again, this is just a dumb, long-haired football coach up here. That's all it is. But he had a father. And he got instilled some things that money can't buy. And I'm going to tell you what, he opens his Bible every day, and I'm going to tell you right, the truth is the truth. The truth sets you free. And the truth says, serve the guy next to you. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, in Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And you know what we do? We chase all those things. And we never find the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And his happiness. And we've got a world full of addictions. Number six sort of blends into that one. Mission conscious. Goal-oriented. Mission conscious. Cause, this is a great thing. Causes should drive you, not glory. Causes are the greatest motivator in the world. My most famous American heroes, Nathan Hale, Revolutionary War. The guy was 22 years old, graduated from college, was in law school, had everything going from him. He came from money, came from affluence. He was going to be a lawyer. He had a girl that was going to marry. He had everything going for him. And he goes when he gets caught behind the enemy lines. And they got a noose around his neck, and the British lieutenant's going to hang him. He says, he got one last word. You know what he says? My only regret is that I got but one life to give for my country. Did a cause drive him? Or did his future and glory drive him? If it was his future and glory, he would have said anything to continue to be a lawyer. But he's driven by a cause. And that's why those guys without shoes on beat the Redcoats. Because they weren't driven by survival. They were driven by something bigger. What causes are you fighting for in your life? In your business, it's, are you going to hire someone who's cause-driven in your business? Or are you going to be hire someone who's glory-driven? You're going to hire somebody who wants to make money, 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 money. How much can I make? Or you want to say, I want to be part of something. Hire the person who wants to be part of something bigger than them. And you know what will happen in your business? They'll trust each other and you go right to the top because you never question motives. You always question motives of somebody who's glory-driven. You never question motives of someone who's cause-driven. Vince Lombardi, great football coach. I read a quote earlier. He was an offensive lineman for Fordham. He'd come out of the huddle. He'd get down the stance. He'd look at the defensive lineman right in front of him, first play of the game. He says he'd say to him every time, Every game, I just want you to know one thing. I came to this game ready to die. Now, let's play. <laughs> Holy smoke! How are you going to intimidate him? Show him how big your biceps are. Show him that tattoo cursing him. 
Cheap shot him. Oh, it's going to get cold and rainy. Or you're going to get him down by 40 points. That's going to discourage. The guy is ready to die. People don't die for glory. They die for causes. Number seven. People must matter to you. That's another thing I learned from my dad. People must matter to you. Do not treat people as things. They're not things. We've got a culture that treats people as things, as pawns on a table to be moved around to get what I want. They are not things. They are people. They have feelings, emotions. My dad said this to me. Rules without a relationship equals rebellion. Rules or demands with a relationship equals response. You take the time to get to know someone, ask them questions about themselves, serve them, create value, and they will respond to you. My dad, you heard the kind of guy I was, 1965, I'm 10 years old. It's the Woodstock time, free love, free sex, free drugs, free everything. And everything was crazy, except my dad. I used to go there, I'd go to someone's buddy's house, 10 o'clock, I'm out. Oh my gosh, your daddy's so strict, parents would tell me this. You're going to rebel against your dad so fast. Wait till you get a teenager. We're the only three kids on the block that didn't rebel. You know why? Because the parent didn't understand that you rebel against the lack of a relationship with the person who's making the demands. You don't rebel against demands. You want to be a leader and you're making demands? Sooner or later, the people that are under you will rebel. Trust me. Develop a relationship with the people that you are with and serve them. And they will respond to your demands. And that's why countries rebel against dictators and kids rebel against parents. Because there's no relationship with the authority. It's not the demands. You know, it's, I'm off, I'm sure, like Rick and all you guys, busy, busy, busy. I'm going to get in tonight. I'm going to fly in at midnight, okay? I've been going. I was out I was speaking two, Wednesday morning to another group. And I had a recruiting day on Thursday at school. And then I fly out here. Midnight, my son's picking me up at O'Hare Airport, and I come home, and I lay down in bed. First thing my wife's going to say is, let's talk. <laughs> you talk, I'll listen. <laughs> you know why she wants to talk? She wants us to have a relationship. How was your day? Tell me the best thing that happened to you today and the worst thing. How are you feeling? So that then when those moments come in a husband and wife relationship, and you start making demands on each other, and things get tough because you're in a crunch... There's no animosity because we have a relationship and it's based on communication and service. Eight, disciplined. You know what disciplined people are? Can you respond without being reinforced? That's discipline. Can you work and get nothing in return for what you're doing? But we live in a culture that says, if I do this, I need something, right? So people struggle in the insurance industry all the time. They're saying, here's the deal. I want $100 of yours and they're going to get, what do I get? You're going to get nothing until you're 60. Well, I ain't giving you $100. Disciplined people say, here's $100. The disciplined husband, when he lays down in bed at night, listens to his wife. There's no immediate return for that sometimes. You know what the return is? The return is a relationship that lasts. There's no return sometimes for opening your Bible and getting on your knees and praying and going to church once a week. You know what the return is? a life of confidence knowing that your maker cares. Disciplined people do those things. Can you respond without being reinforced? Or you need to be reinforced. Can you see the big picture and know that sometimes you're going to labor and labor and labor and labor and labor and you get nothing and you keep laboring because you're disciplined. 
But we live in a world of immediate gratification. Number nine, I'm going to go quick here. Competent, are you part of the problem? You're part of the solution. That's what a competent person is. You hire people all the time. You want, you want to hire low-maintenance people. That's what you want to hire, low-maintenance people. Are you part of the problem or part of the solution? You don't hire people that you've got to write out a litany of things every day so they know what to do. You know what you do? You hire people that look around, survey the landscape, and they just fix it. You don't have to tell them what to do. They see this problem, they see that problem, and they take their talents and their interests. I can help you there, and I can help you there, and I'll take care of that, and I'll take care of that. At home, wherever they are, are you part of the problem, wherever you are in your life, or are you part of the solution? Because you're one of the two. At home, socially, and in the workplace. Low maintenance. Tense. Enthusiastic. Powerful, positive presence. You're going to think, well, Rick and me were born enthusiastic. That's what's going to happen all the time. People have told me that all the time, Rick. Well, you were just born that way. No. I get up every morning and decide to be this way. You know, when that alarm rings, whatever time it rings, it could ring at 6 or 5, the alarm rings, the first thing is, oh, my God, it's ugly. And so we hit that snooze, right? Ten more minutes, I'll feel better. And ten minutes later, oh, jeez, ten more minutes, I'll feel better. I'm going to tell you right now, you get up at 5, 6, 7, 8, or 9, it's ugly for the first ten minutes, okay? So it doesn't really matter. Get up and decide to be an enthusiastic person. First thing you do. I'm not going to wait for energy. I'm going to provide energy. Ever been in a room, there's no energy, there's no enthusiasm? You look around and say, man, this is bad. Well, are you part of the problem? You're part of the solution. Decide it. Quote, great quote, enthusiasm is the greatest business asset in the world. It beats money, power, and influence. Single-handed, the enthusiast convinces and dominates where a small army of worker would scarcely raise a tremor of interest. Enthusiasm tramples over prejudice and opposition, spurns in action, and like an avalanche, overcomes all obstacles. What are you? Make a choice. Number 11, courageous. I'm not going to talk about physical courage here. I'm going to talk about moral courage. Oh, is this lacking in our culture? Courage in general, people say, well, courageous people don't experience fear. A courageous person just doesn't experience fear. And people say, well, they did it because I'm fearful and they're not. Well, the guy in the 82nd Airborne said it the best. He says you get 10 guys around the hole in the bottom of the plane, and each got their shoots on first jump. Eight jump, two don't. People say, well, those eight, they experienced no fear. The two that didn't jump were afraid. No. The eight that jumped experienced fear. They just jumped anyhow. Those are courageous people. You can act in spite of your fears. Now, translate that to moral courage. We live in a culture, listen to me carefully, we live in a culture that fears man. We fear what all you think, and we morph ourselves to man. It's the President of the United States, the guy running for President. They speak to liberal Hollywood, they say this. They speak to the veterans of foreign wars, they say this. They speak to the truckers, they say this. They speak to, and they morph themselves because they fear. It's called peer pressure. And I tell my junior high girl, don't succumb to fear pressure, and the President of the United States does. It's called moral courage. Act on conviction. Jump anyhow. And you know how you do that? You fear God. You don't fear man. We live in a culture that fears man. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to get real personal here. If I die the same time my dad died, I'm 57, okay? If I die the same time my dad died, I'm living six years. Do you really think I'm worried about what you people think of me? You've got to be kidding me. I'm going to see God in six years. And I'm worried about that meeting. 
And we live in a culture that acts as if that meeting will never take place. I'm telling you, it's coming. And the backside of my meeting with you is tomorrow. And the backside of meeting with God is eternity. I am worried about that meeting, and I'm living my life in light of that meeting. You know what it does? It frees you up. It frees you up. Conviction. Principles. You are the same person here than you are being 10 o'clock on Friday night. You don't change. You're the hero. You're going to walk out that door. And it doesn't matter what environment you find yourself in, you're going to be the same person. And that person is the leader, that person is attractive, and that person changes the world. Trust me. Courageous. I'm going to give you a quick example here. My son, little Mike, I told you about my oldest. Now my, my oldest son I named after my dad, and my second one comes back. You're going to get my name now, buddy. So little Mike, he's not little anymore. Like I said, he's 220 pounds, and he comes home from these wrestling practices, and I'm going to tell you something. He grabs my hand and says, Dad, let me show you a move. I said, you're not showing me anything. You'll kill me. Okay, just easy. Show your little sister that one. I mean, he, 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 I mean like a, he is a tough kid. He, he wants to hurt you. Okay. He's 12 years old. He's playing on one of these Pop Warner football teams. And like all these overzealous parents, they were going to take, they won Wheaton, okay? Their team was the champions of Wheaton. So we're going to go to a national tournament. So they call me up. The first thing I say, I ain't coaching. But you want my son to play on your big football team? Here's 100 bucks. Buy him a hamburger every two hours. He'll be happy. So they go down to Knoxville, Tennessee, 600 miles away. And lo and behold, they win the tournament. So my son calls me up. I'm not going down there. I'm not down there to promote a bunch of 12-year-old kids thinking they're the NFL, okay? So he calls me up. He said, Dad, we won. I said, that's awesome, Mike. How'd you do? I hurt three guys. What, did you win or lose? I, well, I hurt three of them, Dad. I mean, that's just the way he, he looks. But no, we won. It's great. Congratulations, son. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. I had to hold a fork down here with your mom, your brother, and your sister. I said, what are you going to do now? Or what did you do? He said, we were going to go celebrate. I said, well, Wow. How are you going to celebrate? And the coaches asked the players, 12-year-old kids, 18 of them, 600 miles from home, my son is. Well, what are we going to do? You know what all the 12-year-olds said? We're going to go to Hooters. Let's go to Hooters. I said, okay. What would you do? And my son said, I told him I'm not going to Hooters. Now, I'm not trying to pass judgment on people who go to Hooters, okay? I'm just telling you what my son did. My son is 600 miles from home, and the peer pressure is raining down on him, okay? And he stood up, and he acted on conviction, didn't he? I'm not going to Hooters. And they laughed at him. And the coaches told him, he said, listen, all the girls got clothes on, and you don't have to drink beer, you can drink root beer. I said, what'd you say? I'm not going to Hooters. I started to cry. I said, you know, my son's going to be okay the rest of his life, isn't he? So what happened? We said they all got in the truck, the, the vans, we went to Hooters. I said, what would you do when you got to Hooters? He says, I went, I, I found the curb. And I sat down on the curb outside of Hooters. And I said, here, I'm going to sit here. You guys out there, you go bring me a hamburger and some root beer, and I'm going to eat right here on the curb outside of Hooters. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. I said, what happened next? You know what he said? They all came out of Hooters, and one of the coaches said, we shouldn't be in there. Let's go somewhere else. And the moral courage of a 12-year-old kid changed the direction of 22 people. What could you do? What could you do? 12-year-old kid, 600 miles from home, peer pressure raining down on him. His dad will never know. And he made a stand. Now, 
Whether it's right or wrong going into Hooters is none of my business. But in his mind, it was what? It was wrong and he didn't do it. That's moral courage. Number 13, 12, excuse me, 12. Understand the responsibility of being on the team. I started the whole thing out by saying, I understand the responsibility I have right now. And the first thing I said is, I won't let you down, did I? Because I understand the responsibility. My son's five years old. He's going to kindergarten, my oldest son. I said, Justin, your dad's a head football coach at Wheaton College. Not the high school. Wheaton College is a sign on the front that says, for Christ and his kingdom. I said, don't let me down, son. I had people come up to me and say, man, coach, that's hard. The kid's five years old. I said, he's not your son, is he? I don't know where you're setting the bar. We were talking about setting the bar. I don't know where you're setting the bar, but that's where I'm setting the bar. My son's going to understand that that's what bar set. Your dad's a head coach at Wheaton. Your dad's not doing something else. There's the bar. Now reach it. Never let me down. He's 18. He's coming to Wheaton College. How would you like to go to college where your dad's been there 28 years? Can you ever miss a class? Can you be late for a class? Cut a class? Make a B? Be slow? Pressure overwhelms him. I said, son, I said the same thing to you when you're five. You're 18. Your dad's a head coach here. Don't screw it up. He didn't let me down. He understands the responsibility. But you know what else he's got? He's got a relationship with me. It's not someone putting demands on him that doesn't love him. I'm telling you people right now, understand the responsibility of your position. Your husband, your wife, your father, your mother. That's responsible. It's different than being single, right? You're involved in your business, whatever it is. I'm employed by Wheaton. I better not forget it. You fail and leaders fail when they forget the responsibility of their position. And the former president a few terms ago did. He thought he was still president of the Arkansas Fraternity House. And he was president of the United States of America. And he forgot. And now you know how I feel. He forgot. President of the United States of America. He forgot. Don't forget who you are, who you represent, and who needs you, and who you're responsible to. Don't forget it. Because you'll fail if you do. God bless all of you guys. I appreciate so much this opportunity. Wow, do I like him. Awesome job. All right. Sit down. We're going to do some Q&A. We're going to do some work. Twelve points. Some of you are great at some of them. Some of you suck at some of them. I am great at some of them, and I suck at some of them. So for me, woof, perspective. I can lose it. I can get caught up in the moment, get off, say the wrong thing. It hit me right in the heart. It hit me hard. Selfless and humble. Ah. I dance around being a humble and meek man because that's what the Bible tells me to be and it's tough because you want to tell somebody you're credible. You want to tell somebody, do what I say and I'll take you down the right path and it's a fine line between guiding them and telling them. It's a fine line. I want you to circle the one that you're struggling with that hits you the most. Which one hits you that you need work on? Some of you are not that committed because as we've talked earlier, what do we say? It's too hard to be in coaching. They're yelling at me. I don't know if I like being fined and having to do push-ups. Because they're sissies. Okay? Lack of commitment. Write down which one is struggling with you. Next thing I want you to do. I want you to share it at your table, which one you're struggling with and why. When you publicly affirm something, what happens? 
It sinks in. You take ownership of it. Like Just like I had to stand up here and tell you the two points where I'm weak. You got a couple points that are weak. Share the one point at your table that you're weak with, then we'll do some Q&A with Michael. Okay, let's see where we're at. So, if you're struggling, wanting to be motivated, raise your hand if that's your weakness. One guy in the room, two, two people in the room. This kind of room doesn't struggle wanting to be motivated. Why would you raise your hand about that? The question is, do you want to be motivated? Okay, how many of you are struggling with integrity, not being trusted, not always doing the right thing? That's a bad one, that's tough. You've got to focus on that. You've got to be trustworthy. You've got to do what you say and say what you do. It's very important. Perspective. How many are like me struggling with perspective? A lot of emotional people in here. Emotions are powerful, but they've got to be channeled and controlled. Very important that we get a grip on that. How many are struggling with commitment issues? Commitment issues. A lot. A lot of people, when you make a lot of money, what happens? Oh, man, get divorced, get a new wife, get a new job, change companies, buy a new car, short sale my house, go into foreclosure. It's ridiculous how our lack of commitment is. How many are struggling with selfishness and humbleness? That's one of mine, too. A lot of arms in this. A lot more you need to put your arms up on that one. How many of you are not goal-oriented enough? A couple of you. I'm surprised. We're so goal-oriented around here. Got to be goal-oriented around. I'm going to get this done no matter. That's the answer. Okay. People must matter. Ooh, how many lose a little short-sightedness of people once in a while? Yeah, I can be a little tough on people. That's true. Discipline. How many of you lack discipline? That is silly. Discipline is just a what? Choice to do what? The right thing. Every day you're at the Y in the road, there's a thousand choices. You go left or you go right. If you go the wrong way, what do you do in a car? You turn around and go the right way. So as soon as you know it's the wrong choice, change it. You understand that? Be strong. Have discipline. Competence. How many do not feel competent in their craft as a salesman or a business leader? Raise your hand. Cool. They all feel really competent. I like that. How many struggle with enthusiasm? Cool. Josh, you struggle with that? Robot boy. I agree. Smile for me. Show him a big smile. Jump up and down. Show him how to jump up and down. There you go. He's coachable, isn't he, coach? Coachable. I like that. He's one of mine. He's motivated. He's one of mine. Courageous. How many of you are not courageous enough? You're afraid to make those big phone calls. Make those big phone calls. What will happen? Big results. Big results. Understanding the responsibility to being on the team. How many struggle with that? We are responsible. So great points. I want to turn it over to some Q&A. So who's got a question? I'm ready. Cool. Go ahead, brother. I've found in my life that the way that I start my day paves the path for the rest of the day. And if I don't start the day the right way, the rest of the day falls apart. Can you share what your morning routine looks like? What do you do every day without compromise? Right. Excellent question. Great question. It's an awesome question. And again, again two-part. And, and, and at first, it wasn't this way. But I married, like I said, I married up when I married my wife. We had our child within, a, within 13 months. Uh, Justin was born. And I would get up. I thought I'd get up or I'd get up to work out, do whatever it was. And when I would get up in the morning... I would see my wife on her knees in the middle of our front room praying. And I'd go, what are you praying for? She says, sometimes she'd be praying for the spouse of our son. She'd be praying for me. She would be praying that God would give her the patience that she would need that day. And so 
I said to myself, you know what? And you know what else she would do? And this is a helpful point. She, she's always been, if you're going to go into a difficult meeting, pray for the heart of that person you're going to be meeting with. And so I started doing every morning, I get up, and I pray for my schedule of that day. And I'm telling you, there have been meetings, when I've gone into meetings, and I said, this is going to be a combative meeting. So you know how it is, you're going to get all your ducks in a row. You're going to build out, build out the big guns, and when that guy comes in, and it's going to happen, I'm going to win this one. My wife said, you ever just prayed for the other individual? Prayed for that meeting. I did that. I started doing that, and the first time I did that, I was praying. She says, we're going to pray together, and we're going to pray for the heart of that person who's coming in, and we're going to pray for your heart. The individual came into my office, and the first thing he said, he said, I'm sorry I've been wrong. And I was ready to punch him in the mouth. And I'll tell you, there's no better way to start your day than to get on your knees and pray to your Creator to give you the things that you think are going to be required to make it through. Lord, give me the strength to get through today. Lord, give me the patience. Give me the understanding. Lord, give me the courage to choose right. Lord, give me the courage to confront this person. Lord, make me sensitive. To, you know, give me the ability to listen and not wait my turn to talk. How many times do you do that? How many times do you just, just wait your turn to talk? You're not listening to anybody. Just waiting your turn. Lord, give me that. So I honestly believe, and that was something I learned through my wife, to start your day in prayer, humble yourself before your Maker. What's your nutrition like in the morning? Awesome. I'll tell you what, it's, I, I've, and I've said this many, many times, that you, so much it is, you are what you eat. And I, I do, I, I work out every day. I always say this, there's a difference between training and staying fit. I used to train. <laughs> now I just stay fit. And... Uh, uh, but seriously, in every, every morning I get up, I have a piece of fruit and yogurt every single morning. And generally speaking, I'm not a guy that, I get up so early, I'm not a guy who's going to eat ham and eggs and all that kind of stuff. But I eat normally cereal, piece of fruit, and a bowl of yogurt, and a glass of milk every morning. How many of you are not eating breakfast every day on a regular basis? Raise your hand. Bad meal, most important meal of the day. Look how many hands are up. How are you going to be great when most you have no energy in the oven? By far. And you don't have to be, and I mean literally, my wife, she'll, she'll put pieces of fruit for me out, so when I leave the day, I'll snack on that in the morning. Awesome. Very good. Excellent. Question. Go ahead, Travis. Michael, can you talk a little about how you recruit recruit your players and what makes you successful? Well, that's imagine, a great question. I, I, I like imagine that it's really difficult for a small school, Christian school, to recruit like the top-level players. Yeah. Very related to us recruiting salespeople and staff. That's an excellent question. Absolutely. How do you recruit? Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. First thing, I always say this, and this... You can relate it to your business in a second here. But here is, it's an amazing thing. We get up, we, we're evaluating a player. You know what I tell our coaches? Don't look at the tape. Don't look at his game tape. That's the last thing I want you to do is look at his game tape. Because you know what will happen? You're going to see a great player physically. And you're going to get overwhelmed with his physical skills. And you're going to margin what Wheaton represents. Because he might not be a fit for Wheaton. I said, here's what you've got to do first. You've got to evaluate his heart, and academically can he withstand and respond in our community. There's a sign, like I said, on the front of our campus that says, for Christ and his kingdom. Where is this kid's heart? Is this kid a people person, or is he a me person? Then you call his guidance counselor. I've, I've, I'll tell you what, I've called pastors, I've called parents, then I call a guidance counselor. And I say, academically, can he stand in our environment? It's an Ivy League culture. We fight the Ivy Leagues and the service academies for most of our players. And then the last thing we do, we put on his game tape and see if he's a good enough player. Now, if he's not a good enough player, I don't recruit him either. But what happens in life so many times, and the same thing can you. You see this big business deal, 
And you get so wrapped up in the finances of it that you compromise yourself. My thing would be to evaluate everything and say, before I jump into anything, does this meet the standard that I have for my life, for who I represent, for my institution, for my firm? Maybe that's good for someone else's firm, but it's not good for your firm or your group. How many of you have hired a me person and regretted it later? Now, do you know why you're kind of drawn to those me, person, those me people, Jeremy? Because we can tend to be me people, and we draw on pe- drawing people that are like us. We want people that are team-oriented, right. that are goal-oriented, that are vision-oriented, that have a servant's heart. That's what we have to Before we can hire those people, what has to happen, Michael? We have to be those people. Absolutely. We have to have a servant's heart before you can hire people that have a servant's heart. And in sales, it's a lot like sports. You guys are all industry superstars so it's so easy to get caught up in that it's very hard to stay focused on the team concept but you got to show up as a team player to hire team players but we've got to hire the right people Todd you got a question so coach you have a lot of experience with uh, struggling players so uh, we have struggling employees tell us how to handle that you bet well I think that there's a couple things that I've said many many times that Two things have got to happen, and, and, and the first is, I, I say this to our coaches all the time, you call someone a dog enough times, they're going to start playing like a dog. You, know, you don't get someone better by being negative, cynical, and sarcastic. You can't call people dogs. But at the same time, like I said, you've got to be able to confront that individual and tell him where his weaknesses are. But you cannot be a berating person. And the other thing I will say to you right now, I tell our players, there's got to be more positive coming out of your mouth than negative. When there is more negative coming out of your mouth than positive, they turn you off. You've got to find their strengths, applaud their strengths, and then attack their weaknesses and where they need help. But if all you do is attack their weaknesses, you're going to have issues. Pat Riley, one of the greatest coaches in the NBA, says 85% of what comes out of your mouth better be positive. Who likes to be around negative people? Who likes to be around negative, cynical, sarcastic, condemning people? But at the same time, you've got to speak the truth. Build up their pluses. Make sure they understand that they have value. There are things they do well. And then say, hey, this is where you're doing well, but this is unacceptable. You've got to set the bar high, do you Absolutely. agree? Absolutely. And they will, what will people do? They'll reach it. You know, there's a They're big argument. Whatever standard you set. There's a big argument around here, Michael, about can you teach drive? What's your answer? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something right now. Some people will say... You can't teach drive. Some people say, you know what I mean? They either have it or they don't. And you know what? Initially, I've said that many, many times. I say you either have it or you don't. Well, what's the truth? Everything can be taught. Everything can be taught. Drive, Every- drive is acquired and taught. Everything. It's motivation risen. Everything. And initially, I, I've said this in football. I say, oh, they, they don't bite when they're puppies. They're never going to bite when they're dogs. I've said that many, many times. And you know what happens is you end up limiting people. Everything. Leadership. Some people say, I've been told many times, leadership, you're a born leader. No. Everything. Everything can be acquired and learned. Everything. That's something I had to learn. Excellent. I love that answer. That made me very happy. Dayton's got a question. What do you got? Sorry, Todd. It's only been proven about 20 times. Have you surrendered? Todd is my partner, and he read a book. Oh. Listen, he read a book on sales written by a psychologist. Now, oh. Does that make any sense? No. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> exactly. Do not read that book he gave you, okay? Read the book I gave you this morning. Go ahead, Dayton. What's the question? Co- Coach, thank you for being here. Talk about your code of conduct for your players 
your graduation rate, and then if you would, tell us a story about a couple of your guys that have really overcome some some real challenges, adversities, family issues that, that oh, man. if you would, please. Thanks. Well, I'm, let me just start with your last one. I'm recruiting Seguin, Texas. Anybody know where Seguin, Texas is? Oh, yeah! I-10, headed east to Houston out of San Antonio, right? 45 minutes, go south, and you're in Seguin, Texas, home of the world's what? Largest? Pecan, right there. Seguin, Texas, home of the world's largest pecan. I get a name of a young man. Call him. That's how we get all of his referrals. He said, Coach, this guy, he loves Jesus, great student, great heart for the Lord. Army, Navy, they're looking at him. Said, his high school coach, but Coach, the guy, he's a Wheaton guy. Get on an airplane, I fly down there, drive I-10, go down, go past the big bronze pecan there in the town square. You guys have been there, know where I'm talking and on the side of the Guadalupe River, in a trailer, I walk up, and that's the kid's house. His father is incarcerated. His father's in jail for selling drugs. His mother is drunk the entire time I'm there. Okay? His sister walks out of the trailer. She's been with every guy in town. This kid's sitting here, and I start talking about Wheaton College and about opportunity and future and what he could do and what God's got for him. And his mother's sitting there. She's got no clue. Okay? To make a long story short, he walked out of the door, he grabs, he says, Coach, get me out of here. Okay? We don't give athletic scholarships, it's all need-based. So this kid obviously was need-based, got him there. To make a long story short, he captained our football team four years later. A football team, a football team that is sending kids to every Ivy League graduate program you can imagine. He captained that football team, decides he wants to become a teacher and a coach to be a person of influence. He goes back down. He's in Dallas, Texas. He's coaching at Hebron High School. Anybody from Dallas area? Hebron High School. Hebron High School wins a state championship. He becomes a high school football coach and a history teacher down there. I come back to him. I'm recruiting down there. He's 30 years old. I go back down. I visit him one day. And he has these loans that he had to take out. And he grabs me. I go up to him. He says, Coach, I, I just slept in a house for the first time in my life. He was 30 years old. He says, I grew up in a trailer. My wife and I, he married a Wheaton girl. They got married, bought a little apartment. He was teaching there, and he bought a house. And he said, I slept in a house for the first time in my life at age 30. And then he says, you know what, Coach? I want to thank you for coming down. He says, every month for the last eight years, I've been writing a check for my loan to Wheaton College. And I've been writing checks for utilities and for insurance. And he said, this check I've been writing for Wheaton College is the only check I ever wrote with a smile on my face. He said, thank you, coach. It changed my life. Okay, Kirk, what do you got? Coach, uh, can you talk about how many offers you've had to leave Wheaton and why you've stayed? It's talking about a cause. I've had opportunities to go in the NFL. I've had opportunities to be strength coaching and motivational guy for the Dallas Mavericks back in 1998 when Mark Cuban was selling, or uh, Ross Perot Jr. was selling the group. Don Nelson Sr. brought it. They invited me down there. Donnie Jr. was a basketball player at Wheaton, he says, Coach, you need to come down here and change the culture. Come down here, be a motivational guy, a speaker guy, and uh, be our strength and being in the strength conditioning. You could just change us. He says, man, you're passionate. These guys are going to listen to you. So they flew me down there and, and uh, wine and dine me and my wife. I was, on the, I was on the side of the court when they beat the Dallas, the Dallas Mavericks, beat the, the Michael Jordan Bulls and so on and so forth. I was out with the guys, and my wife went back to the Anatole there on I-75 North. You guys know where it is from Dallas. And I just, the whole time I was saying, man, this is all great. I was getting enamored by all of it, but there was a, there was a calling in my heart, and I've been called to Wheaton. And it was, it's, a, it's a cause. 
And so I came back to the, the Anatole, and my wife, I went up to the top floor there, and my wife looked at me, she said, what do you think? I said, I'm going to take this thing, I'm going. And she looked me square in the eye. And I mean, she could have had everything. I mean, it was a multi-million dollar contract. I, I could have been fired and still right the rest of my life. And she says, they bought you, didn't they? They bought you. I just went. She said, Mike, what's your calling? What's your calling? And uh, turned it down and came back to Wheaton and don't make anything, but I'm where God wants me. And I've had opportunities to coach in the NFL. I've had opportunities to coach major college football. And, and I'm not saying that those people who are doing those things are wrong. I'm just saying you've got to follow your calling. And I've been called to Wheaton College, and I've been called to speak and inspire people. And I can do that from Wheaton, or I can do that from the Mavericks. I can do that from anywhere. Your platform is who you are. My platform is not where I am. My platform is who I am. And God's called me in this position. Very cool. Listen, we're out of time. Michael, thank you very, very much. Kindred Spirit. God bless you, man. Yeah. Love you, baby. Give it up for Michael Sweeter. to the CORE's Sales Training Boot Camp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.thecoretraining.com.